be picked up at this time. Prayer is vital to the life of the church. Second Chronicles chapter 7. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. We are on day number eight. We are on day number eight of the 40 days of prayer. We're looking at, we're looking at five major events. Five major events happening in this 40-day period. In fact, one of those events kicks off today. Lads to leaders for next year. And we are fervently joining together to pray in these 40 days that we can impact our community. In conjunction with that 40 days of prayer, we're taking a close look at the prayer of one man and how that prayer changed a nation. Let me ask you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2. Let's begin in verse number 1. It says, In the month Nisan, in the month Nisan, we are now four months after chapter 1. Remember in chapter 1, uh, he has that prayer that uh, somehow God can use him to, uh, to help rebuild the city of Jerusalem. What has he been doing for these four months? I think I know. I think Nehemiah had been praying. I don't think the prayer of chapter 1 was a one prayer, done and done event. I think, I think Nehemiah was praying fervently that God would answer his prayers. We have a good start. We're on day 8 of our 40 days of prayer. Let's not stop now. In fact, let me encourage you. Let's do what uh, I call pray things through. Pray things through. Ask and keep on asking until you are assured of an answer. I think it's one of the keys to accomplishing uh, the, the plan that God has for our community. Nehemiah right here spent four months in prayer after which it only took him 52 days to rebuild the wall. In other words, he spent twice more time in prayer than in actually rebuilding the walls around uh, uh, Jerusalem. Prayer is that important. Prayer is that valuable. It's critical to our success. Edmund Gravely and his wife Janice were taking a flight in Edmund's uh, uh, plane when Edmund finally suddenly had a heart attack and died at the controls. His wife Janice had no idea how to fly a plane, so she got on the radio and she was asking for help. And the authorities, the authorities who picked up her distress signal, wanted to answer, but they could not. Because Janice kept on changing the channels. 
on the radio. And every time they got ready to answer, she'd already moved on to a different channel. That's so much like you and me. We cry out to God for help. We cry out to God for help, but we switch channels before we get a reply. We turn to other sources like man-made ideas and our own strength in a frantic search for answers. We try other things, and then we wonder why God doesn't answer our prayers. That's not the way effective prayer works. When you cry out to God, don't switch channels. Be consistent and be persistent. Stay on the prayer channel. Focus on Him. Keep on praying to God. If we want to see amazing answers to our prayers right here in this community, then we should not stop praying. Pray things through until God responds. But don't just pray. Also, let me encourage you to think. Think things through. In the context of prayer, think about what God wants you to do. While you're praying, ask God to direct your thoughts. Consider a plan on how you can be involved. Look at that list of five great events and say, how can I be involved in what we're doing right here at, at 70 West? Notice... Notice, I did not say, make your own plans and ask God to bless them. No. Rather, in the context of prayer, ask God to give you His plan on how you can be involved. That's what Nehemiah did. He didn't pray for someone else to do it. He prayed that he would be involved. His planning became very evident. As he talks to the king, look at verse 1 again. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why? Why is your face sad, seeing you're not sick? There's nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. Nehemiah had every reason to be afraid. Eastern monarchs did not appreciate their servants being in their presence and being sad. To the king, that meant dissatisfaction of the king's decisions. And he would not like that. Nehemiah could lose his life. But Nehemiah has been praying. Nehemiah has been fasting. And now all that is now apparent on his face and the king notices it. Furthermore, Nehemiah has a very bold request to make of the king. Because if you go back to Ezra, the book of Ezra, chapter 4, you'll notice that this same king had stopped the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem several years before this. Now Nehemiah is going to ask him to reverse his decision. If his face suggested it, 
that he was dissatisfied with the king's orders, his request would remove any doubts. Nehemiah had every reason to be afraid. But look at what he says. Verse 3, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Did you notice something? Nehemiah is very careful not to mention the city's name. He doesn't say it's Jerusalem. Instead, he appeals to the king's respect for the dead. You know what? It's very obvious. It's very obvious that Nehemiah had planned out what he was going to say when God gave him the opportunity. As he'd been praying for four months, asking God for the right words at the right time, he was also planning his approach. Verse 4, Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah offers one more prayer. It's a silent prayer. It's a quick prayer. He just prays silently, God, help me. He goes on to answer the king. Verse 5, I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you would send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, Well, how long will you be gone? And when you will return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. What had Nehemiah done? He was thinking things through. He was doing what he should be doing. He knew he had a schedule in mind. He knew how long it was going to take him to rebuild the walls. He knew what uh, it would take. He had put considerable thought to it. Nehemiah had it all planned out so that when the opportunity came, he could give the king a precise answer. Verse 7, And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah, and a letter to Asap, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. Nehemiah not only had the schedule planned out, he knew what supplies that he would need, to get the job done. It's obvious, isn't it? It's obvious that Nehemiah had given this considerable thought. Verse 8, second half. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Not for I had given up, uh, come up with a clever plan myself. It wasn't Nehemiah here. He gives God the credit because he understands that God had given him the plan during those four months of prayer. God had moved the heart of the king to grant his requests. You see, all of this was part of God's much bigger plan. About 95 years before Nehemiah chapter 2, God had given 
Daniel a vision. A vision that a decree would go out to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And then about 480 years after that, the Messiah would come to Jerusalem. We believe that very likely this uh, decree that comes from King Artaxerxes happens around March the 5th, 444 B.C. When did Jesus ride in on a donkey into the city of Jerusalem? About 480 years after that. Nehemiah's plan was part of a greater plan that God had for humanity. You see, God's plan did not negate Nehemiah's plan. On the contrary, God's plan established Nehemiah's plan because Nehemiah's plan came after seeking God's will for four months. In other words... God's plan guaranteed the success of of Nehemiah's plan. Now, I can't tell you how this all works. It's beyond my pay grade. It's beyond my comprehension. But I just know that the sovereign plan of God in no way takes away from my responsibility to pray and to plan and to allow God to lead me to do what He wants me to accomplish. God's plan does not exclude my planning. If anything, it encourages it. The Boeing 747 Dreamlifter is the largest cargo plane ever built. It weighs about 600,000 pounds. Uh, It requires a runway of 9,200 feet to take off and land. But that didn't happen. November 2013. In November 2013, a dream lifter was on its way to McConnell Air Force Base in Wichita, Kansas to drop off some military supplies. The pilot of that plane got confused. And instead of landing at the Air Force Base, he landed at a real tiny city-owned airport about nine miles north of the Air Force Base. A spokesman at McConnell Air Force Base said this, the pilot, the pilot had no clue where he was landing. The pilot was in constant contact with the Air Force Base, but he ended up at the wrong airport because he did not know where he was going. You know what? That's a lot like believers who pray. They're in contact with the Lord, but they don't think to plan. They don't know where they're going, so they end up in the wrong place. Prayer and planning goes hand in hand. One author said this, Most people don't plan to fail. They fail to plan. And that is so true. Planning is vital. When you pray, consider a plan in the context of that prayer. Don't be inflexible with your plan. Be flexible. Because that's what Nehemiah was. When he arrived in Jerusalem, verse number 9, notice what he did. 
Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river, gave them the king's letter. Then the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. Here's a fact that we have to face. There will always be those who oppose us. So in your plans, expect opposition. Nehemiah will face grave opposition. There'll be people that would be going behind his back and trying to undermine him and trying to talk to people and trying to get them to side against Nehemiah. Don't take your focus off of what is really important. That is God doing what God wants you to do. Don't listen to the opposition. Verse 11, so I went to Jerusalem, was there three days. Then I arose in the night, had a, a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected, I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there's no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Verse 15. Then I went up by the night, by the valley, and inspected the wall, and turned back and entered by the valley gate, and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and had not yet told the Jews, the priests and nobles, the officials, and the rest who were there to do the work. Before Nehemiah does anything, he makes a careful survey of the damage, he gains a first-hand knowledge of what is needed. You see, his plan had not yet been set in motion. He was going to be flexible. Nehemiah was flexible. He was open to change. He saw the needs and he adapted to what was needed. Just because our plans are born out of a season of prayer. And there's been a lot of thought put into these five great events. Does that mean that we cannot change? Instead, we listen to the counsel of James chapter 4. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. We don't know how much longer any of us have. Planning is important. But always remember, it's God's will that must be done. In your times of prayer, ask God to give you a plan. Consider a plan. Then when the opportunity presents itself, to communicate that plan. We need teamwork to do things together. Notice verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruin with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been good upon me. 
and also with the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, notice what they said, let us rise and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Nehemiah here is a master communicator. After about a hundred years of inactivity, Nehemiah's words motivate these people to get the job done. How did he do it? Well, notice that Nehemiah does not lay on the guilt trip on them. He does not criticize them for inactivity. He did not say, hey, you've been here a hundred years? What's happened? Why haven't you got more done? You see, guilt is a poor motivator. So Nehemiah stays away from it. Instead, Nehemiah identifies with them in their need. He says, you see the trouble that we are in? Verse 17. He tells them what God has already done to meet their need. In verse 18, as a result, they cry out, let us rise up and build. They're pumped. They're ready to go. They're ready to end all this frustration. They're ready to meet the challenge. Nehemiah was a master communicator. He knew how to communicate vision in such a way that people got excited. That's what we must do. We're going to see God do great things through us. We must communicate the excitement. David Berman was an American architect who developed the master plan for several cities, uh, also developed the plans for numerous uh, famous buildings. He said this, Make no little plans. They have no magic to stir men's blood, and probably themselves will not be realized. Make big plans and aim high in hope, and it will work. You know what? I like that sentiment. Especially when you apply it to God's work. We've got five great themes. For example, spark. Spark has never been attempted here in this community. Spark is big. Spark can be wonderful for our community. It's a big plan. So let's, let's get behind it all the way. If we want God to do great things through us, we must pray things through, we must think things through, and finally, we must follow through. We must carry out the plan. In other words, we must act. It does us no good to pray and plan if we also don't proceed. That's what Nehemiah's people did. Did you see it at the end of verse 18? So they strengthened their hand for the good work. They realized that God's hand was at the background of everything they were doing, that God's hand was the critical part, but they realized that they had a part too. Several years ago, the Ad Council had a series of public service announcements. They called it the Don't Almost Give campaign. In one of the commercials, they showed a man, a homeless man. He was curled up in a ball, sleeping on rags with a, just a ratty sheet on top of him. And it was cold. The narrator said, This is Jack Thomas. Today, someone almost brought Jack 
something to eat. Today, someone almost brought him to a shelter. And someone else almost brought him a warm blanket. After a brief pause, the narrator continued. And Jack Thomas, well, he almost made it through the night. Good intentions don't do anybody any good. If we want God to use us, don't just pray, don't just plan, but proceed and act. If you want God to build His kingdom right here in this community, you do your part. Ignace Paderewski was a very famous concert pianist in Poland. He also eventually served as that country's prime minister. A mother whose son was taking piano lessons wanted to encourage her little eight-year-old boy, so she bought tickets to a Paderewski concert. On the night of the concert, her tickets uh, was for front row seats. So she and her son were up there, and, and she turns to talk to a friend behind her, not noticing that her son had wiggled out of his chair and had proceeded to go on top of a, on the stage. He sat down at the concert piano. He started playing chopsticks. The mother turned around and was horrified to see her son up there. At the same time, the crowd gasped because the great master himself, Paderewski, walked out on stage. He smiled at the little boy, walked up behind him and whispered, you keep on playing chopsticks. And Paderewski took his hands around that little boy and started to improvise a melody himself in conjunction with the boy's playing. He continued until the crowd erupted in applause at the great sound that they were hearing coming from the master and the little boy. That's what serving God is all about. Our feeble efforts are like that little boy playing chopsticks on the piano. By itself, we're nothing. But then the master comes, God himself. He encourages us to keep on going. He puts his arm around us and turns our feeble efforts into a brilliant performance. In the next 40 days, well actually now 32 days and counting, we can make a difference in this community. Without God, without God we are nothing. We are nothing. Less get connected to our God through our prayers. Let's plan and let's proceed. Let's be part of the team. Are you a Christian? Last week, John and Essie both made that decision to become a Christian. They believed, they repented, they confessed, and they were baptized. Do we have anyone here today that would like to do that also, to be part of God's team? God's family. Most of us here are already Christians, I realize that. But maybe our Christian light is not what it should be. You need to seek His forgiveness. He will forgive, 1 John 1, 9. This church stands ready to pray for you and with you, James 5, 16. I'll have two elders down here waiting for you. 
We pray you'll make that decision today while we stand and sing for your encouragement. Uh...